What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Well, now you'll try you are listening to cocoons of horror the podcast that covers your favorite horror blockbusters and pulp fiction I'm your host, Steve Osborne. Today we're covering Poltergeist. For the fans of Ghostbusters and Stranger Things, this is a must-watch, as they are clearly inspired by elements of Poltergeist. Also, if a shirtless Craig T. Nelson does anything for you, grab some milk duds and treat yourself. Here to talk about it with me is Dr. Anthony Ladon. Maybe I'm, I'm not taking the burp seriously enough as far as its social impact on one's life. Potentially. And the thing is about a burp is it's like, it's one of the few things that our body can do that's just inherently musical. <laughs> it's just, to me, it's amazing, like just the percentage of my burps that smell like hot dogs, which is really remarkable considering the, just the almost complete absence of hot dogs in my diet. Well, I think that that's why the hot dog is so attractive in certain settings. <laughs> it's like you've been tasting it all day. Exactly. Tasting but you didn't it, get to, it. to experience eating the hot dog. It's, right. it's like a, it's like God's insult upon mankind. It's like the the burped hot dog smell is sort of like the apparition, right? It's the ghost, so to speak. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I don't know the backstory. I don't know the life. You know, I feel it. I got cold. Yeah, but like, but that's it. You know, I just got a glimpse. <laughs> Uh, all right. Which brings us, of course, to Poltergeist, Steve. Naturally. <laughs> As most conversations do. Uh, we're talking about Poltergeist today. This movie's structure is almost identical to Jaws. You know, you have the, the peaceful little town or whatever. Mm-hmm. The audience knows about the monsters before anyone else does. And then you have that iconic line like... Yeah. And at that point, things shift and you get the second act, which is figuring out what to do about the monster. And then that third act is you got to bring in a special team who specializes Mm -hmm. in this particular kind of monster. Right. You need to bring in tiny Quint. Yeah. (laughs) Hobbit Quint comes (laughs) to town. I want to talk about her a lot, but yeah. And then, and then of course, what this does that, maybe jaws doesn't do which is sort of this uh, pretty typical horror trope is that you think everything is fine uh you know and, and the 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 hobbit quint proclaims the house clean and then they stay in the house right and i guess you could say with well, jaws that like they stay at the island or whatever but sure sure but you know, there's yeah. you can totally see there's ten minutes left of this movie, and it's it's clearly and that's, why, and that's why you know, right? Like, and that's the thing is I don't think you know that necessarily when you're in the theater. Like, when this, that's right. Again, context is everything, right? You're fully believing this thing is wrapping up, but for us, if we hit a, like a little pause and we can see, you know, there's there's too much time of this movie left to right. not have another thing, right? So there's like a spoiler like built in just just by virtue of watching it at home. That's right. And so what ends up happening is then. 
you know, then you have that final battle scene where they end up leaving the house and the house basically it eats itself. It, it gets sucked back into the grave where it belongs, I suppose. Yeah. And then you also have the capitalism theme, like the town mayor in Jaws is is very much like, look, we're I'm pro business. We got to keep the beach, right. beaches open. Yeah. The, the head of the development. Well, and he's he's trying to get and not only is he trying to get, you know, he he just keeps offering him more money. Like, that's the thing. Look, I'm gonna give you a better position. I'm like, because that's all he knows. That's the only negotiation that he has. Right. Mm. And so the idea of like, well, hey, this this my life isn't great. It's like, well, I know how to make it better. Yeah, sure. Do you have an elevator pitch for this movie? Um. Kill your television. (laughs) I was going to I was going to try to work in the television. It's just such it's not even subtle. I mean, it's from the very beginning to the very end. There is a statement that's being made about how the television is ruining the American household in 1982 or something like that. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, no, it'd be so, it, it would have to include a television. It would be like TV monsters ruin house. Craig T. Nelson can't sleep. Yeah. yeah, it's like, and I was initially I was going to go with something like bad parents. I'm like, I don't know if they're bad parents. These are classically 80s parents. I think so. I don't think that they're bad. Parents. All right, let's start there. I think that we are meant to think of these parents as bad parents. The mother's, you know, smoking a doobie mm. once the kids are asleep. In 1982, that was that's foreboden. Yeah, that's clearly not what good moms do or whatever. And then what the what the mom does is that. She sees her daughter staring at a television screen and she says, that's going to like rot your brain or or Mm -hmm. ruin your eyes or I forget what she says. But then she turns the channel to like this World War Two battle scene. Right. And I think that that's supposed to make you think, oh, what a horrible mother. She should turn it off. She shouldn't like just let her daughter continue to watch this violence and warfare on the television. And I think that this really does fit. I think with Spielberg's E.T. vibe as well. like Right. And any film that is going to be horrific and graphic, there is an embedded critique as to the like maybe graphic nature of media mm-hmm. and what you allow your kids to see. And, oh, yeah, this is PG. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Let, yeah, let's talk about that. Who's this movie for? Well, you would think with the PG, it's for almost everyone. <laughs> I had never seen this movie before, so this was my first viewing. Oh, okay. See, I, yeah, I, I, I've, I've seen this movie quite a bit. In fact, I saw it at a very young age. I believe I saw it in 82, uh, which would have put me at six. So I who was saw, this movie I, for? I guess me. Very I saw young a age. clip of this movie as a young man at Jeff's house. Okay. Okay. So I was at Jeff's house, and the only thing I saw That's where all was, of your interaction with any level of sin would have been at a young age. Exactly. And so... The only scene that I saw was Craig T. Nelson playing tug of war with a closet. Gotcha. Okay. And I said, what is going on here? Is this an episode of coach? I'm not familiar with. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I only saw that one clip. I said, what's going on here? And the explanation, this is the only explanation I ever got. He's trying to get his daughter back from Satan. Oh, so I thought this whole thing was like, Oh, this is this is all about Satan. Sure. Or, you know, demonic or whatever. And at one point, which really the, the most satanic thing is urban sprawls. Exactly. That's exactly right. So it's not like Craig T. Nelson is battling capitalism. It's Craig <laughs> T. Nelson is battling Satan. And until 
two days ago when I watched this. That's what I thought this movie was about. It's like Satan possesses a house. Gotcha. I couldn't have been more wrong. No. I mean, at one point, the poltergeist is called the beast, right? Right, right. So anyway, I, I feel like I had this movie wrong the entire time. But in answer to the question, who's this movie for? It really did feel PG for most of the movie. Sure. Aside from like, you know, maybe five minutes of the movie, I think it's aptly rated. Um, it could be that it's specifically written for American parents to kind of preach to them about the ills of media or something, the ills of capitalism. So that brings up an interesting commentary, right? So this is again, 82 PG is different than it is now, right? Because this is pre-PG-13. So basically anything lower than R, but higher than whatever G is, would be in the PG realm. So you could get a fair amount of graphic images. So PG was a little looser. Mm-hmm. For sure. And we are looking back, right? We're looking through a certain lens of rating systems. At what point do you say just the horrific elements, the scares, is that okay for a six-year-old? Right. I mean, obviously now we now faces were being peeled off. Um, like the, the tree eating the boy isn't, I mean, it's it's not graphic, but it's not it's definitely it's, adult content. It's a, yeah, which I loved as a rating, right? We'd always see that as kids. We knew what nudity was. We knew what violence was. We knew what bad language was. There was always adult content. And mm-hmm. that could, and I'm never quite sure what that was. This is what adults were doing when we weren't looking. You know? <laughs> yeah, they, were watching they were feeding children to trees, trees and smoking pot. Strangled by clowns. <laughs> I think that there might have been a discussion in my household about the clown. Because my sister, my older sister, was really into clowns. And I think that after this movie, she got rid of the clowns. Yeah, I was after this movie that my grandmother actually like she she was into like crocheting and stuff. And she like kind of knitted me or something like a clown that was eerily similar to this one. First off, <laughs> I have I, prior to this, I was not like a I was not pro clown prior. I was maybe clown neutral at best after this for sure. Anti-clown. And then she gives me this thing. And I just and, my, and I told my mom, I don't want it. I said, well, just keep it in the closet. I said, how is that better? Like, that's the whole point of this is, <laughs> that's is even, even worse. now. Oh, you want me to give it a dark place to live? Cool. You know, I go into that closet. <laughs> I, I mean, think that's... That you could probably divide American history into two distinct periods. <laughs> and that is the clowns are good period to the clowns are evil period. Because right. there was it was almost like there was no there might have been like two years where it overlapped. But we yeah. live in a clowns are evil society. Oh, sure. The idea, like, could you imagine someone like, hey, we got a clown to come to your house? I'm like, oh, like, that's that's like some some Kevorkian stuff. It was just 30 years ago that the most popular fast food chain in America had a clown for a spokesman. Like, this is this is supposed to attract children. A clown. Yeah. You know, Ronald McDonald, did he ever really do much clowning? Or was he just a clown like it was it was interesting like we were like ronald mcdonald for the most part seemed like an off-duty clown what would you consider clowning uh i mean i would consider face paint and a nose and you think that's enough see see that see that to me enough that that seems like clown cosplay that seems like a kink like uh, the idea of like you know I need to hear like some squeaks I need some hand buzzer action I need squirting flowers right I mean he's he's a prankster (laughs) you want someone who's juggling and like 
getting into a very small car with like nine friends. <laughs> exactly. The idea of a guy that just like, yep, time to put on face paint to go get some fries. That's horrific. <laughs> Can you at least go get the fries with nine of your friends? So this doesn't seem weird. <laughs> yeah, go through the drive-thru and the order takes forever because everyone's screaming over each other. And he's like, I'm sorry, can you stop squeaking that horn so I can hear what you said? I don't know how many nuggets you want. <laughs> so in answer to who this movie is for, it's basically for clowns. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this I mean it's interesting how like what it played on in terms of like the clown thing, right? I mean, so the clown is like supposed to be this joyous toy, which he hated immediately. Like he's like me. I mean, I get it. And then there was a tree, you know, like tree is like the cool tree you climb, but at the same time, it's like, like everything that was supposed to be on their side was not right. TV yes. was not on their side. Tr nature was not on their that's right. side. The toys were a problem. It's so that, so talk, I mean, so that's like, for me as a, like as a kid watching this movie, especially it was like, Oh, the idea that nothing is sacred, that nothing is safe. Mm -hmm. That that was a very terrifying thing to me. And as, it's funny as a kid, like I only I couldn't tell you about um, most of what happened once like the investigators came in, because I think as a kid, it was like, OK, adults are talking. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so the idea of like, you know, meat getting maggoty or whatever, like that was upsetting. But I'm like, I don't cook. What do I know? Yeah. Uh, but then when it's like, oh, a clown's like not toys are back being bad again. I'm like, well, that sucks. And I know that tennis ball so gooey Ugh, what a nightmare you know it's interesting i think that like in the history of folklore horror stories were meant for kids mm -hmm. you know it was basically you were trying to teach a kid a life lesson and you know whether i don't know you know i guess there, there was just like anti mother-in-law bias or whatever but <laughs> uh you were trying to teach these kids a life lesson and so you tell them a horror story around the campfire and then at some point you know, when these stories got transferred to film, it be became a very adult occasion. So to see a horror film like this, that's really geared toward kids, it, I don't know if it's geared toward kids or what, but it does seem a little bit like a horror story for kids. I think that there is a sense in which Spiel you need someone like Spielberg to, to do that kind of thing. Which is, well, which is interesting, right? Because he's a producer. They get Toby Hooper to direct it, who's, you know, famous for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? Interesting. So, so you have this horror director who's created arguably one of the greatest slasher horror films of all time. Super unsettling film. Then to say, hey, we want that guy to do a PG horror flick. I mean, not to say that he couldn't, obviously, but according to the story of the filming of this is that Spielberg kept on checking in mm -hmm. and uh, Spielberg was so involved in the directing that he sort of micromanaged and to some degree may have taken over where there was like some discussion. Interesting. Of like, so while Spielberg... he doesn't get the directing credit. Yeah. And there's, there was a lot of talk from the crew that they should, probably should have had him as a co-director. I don't think Toby Hooper was super thrilled with it. I don't have all the, those details, but it's an interesting thing that Spielberg's fingerprints get over this, not yeah. from not just a thematic standpoint, but almost from a, a straight up directorial mm -hmm. standpoint. So it's almost like you'd call it the Spielberg drawing for sure. I don't know. I mean, if this if this had gone Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it'd be an entirely different film. And, and who right. knows if it'd be better. Right. And I don't think that that was ever the intent. I think it was he was still tasked to make a movie that was uh, horrifying, but maybe more accessible. So that's but the, and it does beg the question of what how much different would that have looked like if you get like a truly 
maybe somebody with more of a of an eye towards horror like how much of it would have been effect driven versus how much of it would have been more psychological right because sure. because feel because like i like the elements of when we and I, I think for me the weakest part of the film is when we start to see the quote beasts you know when we start to see right the, yeah like, let's let's transition to that so here's the next question is that does this movie hold up i think the first half does more than the second half to me mm-hmm. or should i maybe say like maybe maybe the i think the the, the final part holds it's 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 the effects and i think it's the effects of the almost ghostbusters type ghost that shows up I was outside gonna say, the room yeah i was gonna say the exact same thing when that first little hand that green sort of smoky yep. hand comes out of the television screen i thought oh i'm watching ghostbusters mm-hmm. yeah and at the time like i said as a six-year-old and that's maybe that's the point right like things we were talking about before as a younger viewer like that might have been enough um and again, is it is it the effects themselves yeah. that are the limitations, perhaps, but also it was presented like it, it felt like it was softened somehow. And sure, even just seeing that at all, like I'm like, I didn't even think it should not have shown it at all. I think and I think a modern horror film won't even show that or like, do it in some other way. You know, we were talking about how this movie influenced Stranger Things. And I would totally appreciate seeing this movie now that we're doing that stranger things podcast because you know all of the the monster in stranger things for most of the time is represented by electricity right mm-hmm. and of course that is a direct homage to this film this film yeah. is all about the electricity you can do so much with just the objects in the house the bulbs in the house the lack of light in the house all of that can tell that story without using any special effects at all. And I think you're right. That part really does hold up. Yeah. The idea, and like when, when the furniture sets itself up, right. And you don't see it happen and you just know it does. Like, okay. That's to me, that's the moment that I thought, Oh, this is worth watching. Yeah, I agree. And what I really liked about it was the middle of the day, super bright. <laughs> yes. And, and a lot of haunted house movies, that you they never let you in to the daytime yeah a lot of this movie happens during the day yeah they don't just show up at night which i thought was nice it's so much more effective than the goofy hand coming out of the television right right and i think that that's what that to me was the biggest miss and i wonder i wonder how much of that was a spielberg versus maybe uh, a toby hooper it's just curious hmm. interesting because because i think that there would have been i mean just it's the threat that you can't see is always the scariest thing right and, and that was always kind of my a take on Hannibal Lecter like the threat of Hannibal Lecter the the legend of Hannibal Lecter uh the aura of Hannibal Lecter was way more terrifying than anything you're going to show me that he did so yeah. I think that's where, when your sequels are like okay well now we're going to show you how gruesome it was it was kind of like all right well I guess that's it then, you know, where, as opposed to sure. the, the idea, like, like, look, let the, let the repu- the reputation is far more terrifying than the actual act. That's right. And this is all very Hitchcock. This is all very Tarantino. So still under the umbrella of, does it hold up? I suppose if you're going to make this film today, like remake it. And they did. They did in what, 2014 or something, right? Yeah, I believe so. All right, I have I definitely haven't seen that. I'm kind of curious to see that. But I think I hear, that if I you're going to make real it, bad. <laughs> oh, it is. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've heard. If you're going to make it today, I think that you probably want to play with sort of the parental fear of the tiny screen, right? 
mm-hmm. do something with phones because I think that there was a similar conversation happening with televisions when we were a kid as there right. are with with my kids on you know my sort of concerns about how much my kids are on their phones or something like that so I think you would probably do that with it instead and I wonder how that would change I mean, I wonder if you could tell the same kind of story, play on those fears and tell the same kind of story. So Child's Play, I remember enjoying it, but it was interesting because like, it's like, you know, you got that sort of my buddy animatronic type doll, right? The the Teddy Ruxpin that comes alive kind of thing, right? So then that remake, which I'm probably one of the seven people that really liked the remake um, and not talking about like the several sequels that happened, but like the actual like reboot where Mark Hamill is the voice of Chucky. So already I'm I'm in. It's really plays up the app concept like he's controlled like kind of like ai artificial intelligence uh, right uh-huh, so it uh-huh. plays that so it, it does i think it's effective in, the, in what it does with that sort of modern take and there's so there's a there's a little bit more ripe and i think good horror in in many ways like like good science fiction can can serve as a commentary right like like you're saying like it's it's a warning of sorts right so i mean 82 poltergeist this I mean, this is the right time for this movie and it's the right movie for that time you know it, it because there is a lot to be said for the the television babysitter the consumeristic hyper capitalism not that we're not now but like 80s was really when it became kind of like a little bit more aware of that kind of thing and, and the idea of of expanding into home ownership and everybody should have a, and like and and also the sort of the the cookie cutter approach to homes and everything was starting to really take mm-hmm. off mm-hmm. it's just it's just to get and to gain and then so and at what cost and that's kind of what you see right because there's so much with toys and action figures and things in there it was just it was like and we all lived in that house to some degree do you think the toy story this the toy story franchise happens without this movie that's interesting go on with that well i think that there's this idea that you know there's an idea in this movie that the that the toys can be possessed. And if you go back to that very first Toy Story movie, it's like these toys are possessed. You know, they, they are animated by life in some way, but they have to they have to pretend to be just toys. You know, when, whenever a human is in the room, if they want to, they can really scare you. They could so really choose the scary t- Toy Story's franchise is a horror franchise. <laughs> that they are if you haunting. Think about, yes, if haunting you think the about these toys, if you think about Woody, just in and of like if this actually happened, it would be scary as hell. <laughs> All right. I want to talk about the um the parapsychologists. All right. So Craig T. Nelson has to go to, I don't know where he's going. He goes to some big stone building. And my guess is it's like UCLA or something like that. Doesn't really tell us like which university he's visiting or is this a big office building? But for whatever reason, these are the experts in parapsychology. And so he goes and talks to these people and the, this group of three can we call them Ghostbusters? I mean, that's kind of what they, they are. are. They're sort of their early phase Ghostbusters. They're early, yes. Yeah, so they're the proto Ghostbusters. They haven't seen much, you know. They've they've seen every now and again. They've seen like something move very slowly, or they've seen lights in 
you know, in photographs and they and they're in like they believe it. They believe what they're doing is real stuff. The trick which is the which mo- is great, right? Because it's 82, uh-huh. 84 Ghostbusters comes out. So we don't have the luxury of, of seeing this. It's, it's a, that's, right. that's right. But we do now. And it's like and, it, and it's kind of amusing because like the whole premise of Ghostbusters initially is that they're just they're just basically sucking university uh, grant money. Uh, <laughs> for for who knows what they're, well, they're studying the paranormal they don't have anything to show for it because it's kind of like is is this is this quack psychology what's going on here yeah, and, yeah. They, they're they're about to be discredited and then they're about to be vindicated so it's kind of entertaining to see it half after watching ghostbusters because in that that sequence with them feels a lot different like well, mm-hmm. these guys even know what the hell they're doing yeah well they clearly don't I mean, they, they think they're the experts, but they've never seen anything like this before. And so the movie making trick that is being played here is that, OK, here are the experts. They've seen it all. They're going to come into this house and they're going to be completely blown away, whether it be in the sense of divine wonder or in the sense of just sheer terror. They've right. never experienced anything like this. None, none of what you studied in a book has got you ready for this. Exactly. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Did did that work for you? Yeah, it did actually. I kind of because it was surprising. Uh, I appreciated it more watching it again. That like I felt that there was actually a pretty good level of care with that because mm-hmm. because this would have been an opportunity to kind of get very expository mm-hmm. and explain a lot of this stuff. But the idea that they weren't necessarily the best people for the job kind of added another element of terror because you're like well, right well who do you turn to now <laughs> you know okay the answer is who do you turn to now and that's tangina baron right who we've previously referred to as hobbit quint yeah there's one more thing a terrible presence is in there with her so much rage so much betrayal i've never sensed anything like it i don't know what hovers over this house but it was strong enough to punch a hole into this world and take your dog away from you he keeps caroline very close to it and away from the spectral light it lies to her it says things only a child can understand. It has been using her to restrain the others. To her, it simply is another child. To us, it is the beast. So they bring in, I guess she's like the big guns or whatever. But they also do something similar with her. Like, she knows what she's talking about. She's she's telling the family, look, you got to do what I say when I say it. You don't question me. Even if it goes against your Christian ideals or ideals as a mother, you got to lie to your kids if I tell you to lie to your kids. And they're all in. They're like, as long as you can get our daughter back, we're, we'll do whatever you say, Tangina Baron. Right. And then they go, they, they try the whole tug of war with the closet business. Right. And her idea is to like tie herself in the rope and go into the upside down or whatever you want to call it, get the girl and bring her back. So then Diane says, no, I, I I'm her mother. I should go in. And then Tangina says, well, you've never done this before. 
And Diane says, well, neither have you. And Tangina replies, you're right. You should go. And (laughs) so I think, okay, now you played this trick twice on me because I trust Tangina Barron knows what she's doing. And now we realize that like, she's just kind of winging it. Right. Exactly. And I, I kind of feel like the trick didn't work twice on me. I really oh, wish okay. that the Tangina Baron character would have been like, you know what? It's got to be a mother. It's got to be a mother who does this. I can't do it or something like that. But I think it maybe that was supposed to be played for a laugh or something. But for her to spin on a dime and basically say, I'm the expert. Yeah, I've never done this before. It didn't land for me. Because it, because it, you already did that game that had already been played. Yes, you already played that card. And so the second time you play that card is not going to be nearly as effective. Yeah, you know, and I think I got a little bit of that too, which was kind of like, okay, so no, I mean, I, I think maybe there was that element of like, yeah, look, we really, none of us know what we're doing. Even, even when it got down to it, it's like we are kind of grasping at straws, but again, maybe it was the presentation of it that, that sort of mm-hmm. fell flat. I think that was the, the whole point was that like, even so scientists are in over their head mm-hmm. spiritualists also in over their head this is something that we just as as the living don't understand right and 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 i and i and i think that that's still kind of important you know maybe that was an execution thing right but i think that was intended to be sort of exhausting it's it's an, and i think maybe maybe then a little bit more exposition in that maybe would have actually been helpful you know, you could have had right. uh, the Steve character just be like, look, I've done everything. I've got scientists can't help me. Spiritualists can't help me. What do we do? It's, like, it's just it's like, hey, we're the living. We're limited. Something like that goes a long way, right? So I think so. And I think this is where Stranger Things works. All right. Let, let's talk about the kind of the DNA uh, relative to Stranger Things. So first off, you've got a house that has the spirit of the child in it. Same thing with Stranger Things. You, you know, Will is in the house, but he's in the upside down. So the mother and the child are separated by sort of spiritual planes, but they're both in the same house. Right. So you've got that. Secondly, you've got sort of the, as we talked about, the monsters being represented by electricity. And But then the third thing that I thought was really interesting is the family matches. So if you think about... The wheelers, you got the the father, the mother, got an older daughter. You've got a younger son who's maybe not quite as old as Mike. And then you've got this very little, you know, just just more than a toddler, doe-headed blonde daughter. So the family is a complete blueprint. And, of course, you've got that scene where the, the youngest daughter has that kind of poltergeist experience in the buyer's house. But here's where you get the curveball and certain things. The experts are evil, right? So you don't have, uh, you don't have like the paranormal specialists or the Tangina Baron who's going to come in and help you out. No, the experts at Hawkins lab, they're going to come to your house and they're going to abduct your kids. They're going to, they're going to do all kinds of horrible things. Because they actually want to, they've got other plans. And so you've added that sort of additional evil element to it. And in that way, I think, yeah, that's, you got the poltergeist DNA. And at the same time, I think you've got a more interesting and more complicated story. 
Right. And I and also I think to go with that, it's like it would kind of make a little more sense that the experts would be would be evil because they're dealing with it, right? Like they're in order to be really dealing with it, there's a certain like dissection, discovery, almost a disrespect that happens. Right. Um, because the more you appreciate something, the less you are to maybe tinker with it, right? And that's kind of what you end up with. What you see that with ET, right? These are the, the people that are going to essentially dissect and and investigate the alien so that they can acquire the knowledge. And in order to do so, you have to have sure. a certain callous disconnect, right? You can't you can't be personally involved. So when Craig T. Nelson is talking with the paranormal scientist people. They're asking the ages of the family members. Mm-hmm. And he says his wife is 31. Oh, no, 32. His daughter, 16. Right. Yeah. I uh, think a little a- bit of simple math is, yeah, su- yeah. suggests that we've got a situation here, Steve. Right. Yes. Do we know how old uh, he is? I forget. Uh, he's at least 54. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know how old he is. I know that at one point during the, the flick, I was thinking there was a brief period of time when Craig T. Nelson and Chevy Chase were interchangeable. <laughs> like you could have put Chevy Chase in this movie. You could have put Craig T. Nelson in vacation. It would have been, you know, the slightly different acting choices but come on it's very very aesthetically nothing's changing all right uh was there one cliche device or trope that worked for you um yeah i liked anything that that you couldn't see i think we go back to the when the when the chairs go back up the dogs barking at the wall um those things worked for me And and it's like that's a that's a classic trope that i i think that they they used effectively and then they yeah. underused it when at times uh, Steve, mm-hmm. is this movie worse on par with or better than a Ron Howard flick? This feels properly Howard. I was going to say properly Howard. When I was watching it, I'm about midway through, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be my first negative one Howard. And then when it ended, by the time it ended, I thought, oh, no, no, no this is properly Howard. Yeah. So it, somehow it was able to kind of grab me and bring me back into the story at the end yeah i think that like that the extra little push at the end helped do you because i think at that point i was thinking you know we were talking about whether or not they were good parents or not they felt like bad parents at that point right at the at the point where you got your kid back is the the moment that you have your daughter back you leave town forever you leave town forever you don't you don't take a bath you don't take a bath that's right I mean, leaving town and going to Santa Cruz would be better. Right. Because even the vampires in Santa Cruz are not going to be as bad as these poultry. No, 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 no. Just, no, that's, that part is the part where it gets really exhausting. Because for whatever reason, by the end of the movie, I mean, maybe this is to your point. By the end of the movie, I was thinking, oh, no, this is, this is as good. Absolutely, this is as good as a Ron Howard flick. I think that there was, despite all of that, I think that the action and everything that takes place in that that last bit is pretty compelling. They did set up a little bit of this early on where it's like, okay, there's clearly crazy stuff happening in this house, but the mother's intrigued by it. Yeah, she she's did, not yeah. the kind of mother that's like, that's the devil. Let's get the hell out of here. Which, yeah, no, she's know. like, look, look at the daughter can go for a little ride. Wee. She puts 
a helmet on the child <laughs> and lets the ghosts tickle her across the floor of the kitchen. Yeah. I mean, this is probably another one of those things where it's like, these these are not great parents. Right. Um, but, you know, you, it does sort of establish her as she's very open-minded. She's, uh, you know, she's not sort of rigidly attached to this plane of spirituality or something like that. She is probably the kind of person who would believe Tangina Baron, who says this house is clean and be fine with staying in the house. Right. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's an interesting point. And then finally, Steve, I do think that this film is a great advertisement for Holiday Inn. For sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's one thing that it was, it was a long buildup, but it, it totally pays off. Like E.T. had like Reese's Pieces, Coca-Cola, Snickers. It had all kinds of product placement. This one was a slow build to probably the best Holiday Inn commercial ever made. <laughs> you might be interested to know that Cocoons of Horror has a cousin podcast called Perfect Stranger Things, where Steve and I rewatch Stranger Things episode by episode. In fact, most of the movies that we're covering for Cocoons of Horror have a direct relationship with Stranger Things. Because Cocoons of Horror is linked to Stranger Things, we will be covering classic horror like Jaws and Poltergeist, but we'll also be covering things like Stand By Me, Sixteen Candles, E.T. You can look forward to our coverage of those films in upcoming podcasts. All right, so Steve, if people want to get a hold of us, they can email cocoonsofhorror at gmail.com. Did you know that? Um, I had a suspicion when we created the email address. Yeah, so you and I know that, but I don't know how many other people know this because we've only gotten too many two emails. Well, so, I mean, it's not like we, right. you know, got one episode. Sure. All right. And if we've covered so, it well, then there's no questions to be asked. That's right. Yeah, we were very thorough. All right, so here are the questions. The first one is from a fellow named Jim F. Ooh. Jim says... Is it Jim F or is it Jim F? <laughs> no, last name F. Mm. And I can't say his last name because you rated this podcast as clean. Oh. So, yeah. Well, it, I, didn't, I think when I went to submit it, I don't think it gave me the option. Like it was grayed out when it was like to say explicit. Mm. I'm like, are we explicit? See, that's the thing right now, right? I mean, there's, there's clean. You chose like a PG rated platform, and just everything on this platform comes out clean. Well, our first one was Jaws, and it was PG despite it being what I would consider Mm -hmm. adult. So I'm just keeping with that. Sure, gotcha. I mean, and when you get as a comic, when you get asked to do a clean show, you kind of have to specify because I come from a world where clean can be all ages, uh, you know, mm. church uh, setting. But other times, it's like, ah, don't say anything. You know, try to limit the f bombs, and you know, or they'll say something like they'll say some of the crudest things you could possibly say, and say, yeah, just don't say that. And you're like, oh, okay, so don't be filthy. Have you seen a movie called Most Wanted? No, I don't think. I think it's Amazon Prime. And it's sort of a crime drama set in Vancouver. I used to live in Vancouver, British Columbia. And so I thought, yeah, this is interesting. I'll turn this on. 
Pretty early on in the film, Jim Gaffigan comes on as kind of this uh, junky con artist sort of dude. Uh-huh. And uh, he's dropping F-bombs like nobody's business, and he's a pretty bad dude. Really? Yeah. And so I'm thinking, Jim Gaffigan, huh. not who I would have cast in this part. All right. So this is from Jim F. Jim Yeah, Jim Jimf writes, you and Steve make a good team like a play-by-play and color commentator. I think I'm the play-by-play guy in this scenario. Yeah, because I'm not real smart. Well. But I know but I know what I see, and I can say that's it. That's funny, because I feel like you have the play-by-play voice. No. I, I certainly don't, for sure. Uh, he said, maybe in one of your podcasts you can talk about how you and Steve met and how your personal-slash-professional lives are connected. Thanks, Jimph. <laughs> so, how did we meet, Steve? Well, I think we initially met in an apple orchard setting. I think we did too, but I think that's my memory. I, I think that your memory is different than my memory. In my memory, you were the villain. <laughs> right, right. Okay, here's how I remember it. I think we met, okay, I think we met at Scandia. Is that right? Because I, I don't remember this. Uh, I was uh, invited to a youth group. Jim, if you don't know Scandia, it's sort of a miniature golf slash video game. Slash kind bumper of boats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when I went to this, I, my, my mother was visiting a church, and I went to the, I was invited to the youth group from a mutual friend of ours, Jeff, or maybe it was Aaron, and... You all were going to Scandia that day, and they quickly got me a permission slip, and I, I went. And so I think that's how I met Jeff Polk. Is that right? Even though he was your next-door neighbor? Uh, we weren't neighbors at that point. So oh, I was, right. yeah, I was invited by Aaron, and Jeff and I both got kicked off the go-karts. <laughs> And I believe you. I believe that's I what believe I believe. Like every word of it. And I believe Aaron introduced me to you as the real religious friend. Yeah, I could see that. So I think when we got to when your memory of us meeting, I think at that point I had already had some. The well had been poisoned about your religiosity. Uh-huh. <laughs> your, yeah, your piety. Yeah. So my story is a little bit different. We were playing war in an orchard. Yeah. With BB guns. And at this point, I, th- I think we should probably call it a holy war, given our religious differences. Yeah. And uh, the way that I remember it, <laughs> we were taking little pieces of twigs mm-hmm. off the apple trees, putting them in the air rifle mm-hmm. or the BB gun or whatever it was, and shooting them at each other. Yes. And I remember this vividly. Again, this is my memory. And of course, religion taints everything, right? So. <laughs> It's probably all lies, but I think that I was maybe five feet away from you, and you were going to shoot me mm-hmm. at, quote-unquote, point-blank range. Yeah. And I decided that I should go to hand-to-hand combat. Right. I think I grabbed the barrel of the gun, Yeah. and we wrestled around in the dirt. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Not too long after, I think I had put a foxtail in the air rifle, and I uh, shot it at Jeff, and uh, he lost his hearing for a long time, 
and ended up going to the doctor and they pulled out a lot of foxtail out of his ear. (laughs) (laughs) That's how he lost his hearing. I I didn't know that. This is all new information to me. All right. I one time shot Eric Beamer in the face with a peppercorn from a BB gun. Peppercorn is actually a, a perfect choice for that. Yeah, so we had been shooting peppercorn in his house for whatever reason, and then uh-huh. and then that was it. We didn't shoot it anymore. And then we would just always have the air rifle, and you know, it always kind of like shoot at each other, and you know, mostly like pointed at each other's crotches because we were you know teenagers, and so we we were horny and full of hate, and so uh, <laughs> we just shoot each other, you know, pretend to shoot each other. And then one day I pulled the gun out and I shot at him, and he just dropped to the floor and i was like man he's really selling this and uh and he's just like covering his face he's just screaming at me and i'm like what and he's just like what'd you do and it turns out there was a peppercorn lodged in there for weeks and uh it it eventually (laughs) came through and it hit him right in the cheek like he pulls his hand off and like blood streams out of his cheek and he immediately started sneezing it was pretty funny it was like a cartoon (laughs) it was lodged in his cheek (laughs) yeah and he started sneezing. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> and then he's like, then it was one of those things, well, now I have to shoot you to be even. And I'm like, well, I didn't know there was anything in there. And you had been pointing this thing at my crotch for weeks. So, I mean, it could have been any one of us. So, Jim, the lesson here is that whether it's a holy war or whether it's entirely secular, war is hell. <laughs> this next question is from Allison. Allison says, am I right to calculate that you and Steve now have three podcast series running concurrently? Oh, yeah. Is this the beginning of a casting empire? I'd like to think it's the end. <laughs> it's, it's, it's more like the middle coming to probably an abrupt end at any moment. Yeah, I mean, I have, uh, I have a history of uh, abrupt endings with podcasts, I guess. Well, I guess... Any ending is abrupt, ultimately, right? I mean... Um, At some point, Steve will shoot me in the face. <laughs> and that's probably how this will end. Yeah. The friendship. The podcast may continue. What do you think would the limit would be for you? Two. Two? Okay. So we're already, already too many. Yeah. This is already too many. That's fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess one of them is... I mean, like, I'm a guest... Right. The Game of Thrones when you're all right, you're no, I wouldn't say you're a guest. You're on every episode. Well, I'm a I'm a recurring guest, I guess, right? I think that you would be a regular featured guest. Okay. So I this is like when when Mike Myers is first doing Sprockets, right? Like he's uh-huh, sure. he's his picture shows up, but it's not during the main casting title sequence. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Also featuring, yeah, featuring Mike Myers. Yeah, so that's where I'm at. Yeah, and although we don't have any Apple reviews up yet, this would be the time during the podcast where we would read an Apple review and respond to it. So if you want to write a review for us, it actually would help our visibility, and uh, and you might get it read on this here. Yeah, let, let me just put it this way: it probably will get read on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless we get to a point where we're just flooded with the. So, um, Steve, do you have any stage time this week? Um, This week, I don't think so. Lots of things are kind of being on hold, postponed, um, just because of the recent surge. 
but uh, I I will on Sunday the the sixteenth, barring any any changes i should be uh, performing at the san francisco punchline excellent and how can people follow you online um you can follow me on instagram at ozfest a-u-s-f-e-s-t um or you can always keep track of my uh, tour dates tour as such as it is is probably local um at steveosborne.com excellent <laughs> special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.